is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up we get the latest on the rainfall event that's forecast for the weekend and uh, that the details on that are firming up. We'll talk to the SES shortly. Also, this year has been close to an all-time record in New South Wales and as a result the state's dams, in terms of the rainfall, they're full to overflowing. Burrunjuk in October alone received 20% more than the entire uh, volume of, of the dam. So the equivalent of its entire storage, it received in four weeks over October. Mm. And, and that's in a catchment that's already wet. That's with a river running uh, hot downstream. So it, it's really been an incredible effort by our teams and our planning guys to have been able to mitigate the flooding as much of, uh, as, they, as they have been able to. You might uh, want to make some comments on uh, some of the issues we're talking about on the program today. It's uh, 0467922684 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. So uh, let's talk about this flood event and the flood waters. Of course, uh, those flood waters from that previous rain event, they have receded, but renewed flood peaks are likely to form following this weekend deluge. Now, the forecast is an average of 30 to 70 millimetres uh, and uh, many of those uh, many of those rainfall events expected uh, to go into uh, downstream into some of those flood flood peaks. Uh, some of the rivers we're talking about there: the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee, the Macquarie, even the Namoy, the Castlereagh, and the Guida as well. Expecting renewed flooding as a result of this rainfall coming through. Joining us now from the SES is Adam Jones, who's uh, just had a briefing from the bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So uh, what's the Bureau actually saying? Widespread rain by the sound of things. Yeah, so we've got isolated uh, storms and showers uh, over the next couple of, over the next sort of 48 hours. And then on, on Sunday through, we're going to see a lot more rain start to fall, particularly in that uh, south section of inland New South Wales. And again, we're, although it's not specifically in those areas, so again, we're asking the community across all these already saturated uh, and already flooded uh, areas to prepare. Um, we've got the peaks already moving down. So we've got major flooding in, in many parts of, of uh, New South Wales. Uh, currently, we've got hay, which is experiencing major, major flooding. Um, we've got the Daniloquin's got moderate as that flood water from, on the Murray from Moama moves down. Um, we've got Condobolin, which has currently got major flooding occurring. Uh, as we're seeing those towns that were flooded um, slowly start to recede, such as, you know, Wagga and Forbes, um, we've still got a very large amount of the northern section of inland New South Wales uh, with some isolation um, with, you know, Walgut, Colla Annabry, Lightning Ridge, um, Brewarrina, uh, and we've got uh, huge resupply efforts moving through. Um, it was only a couple of days ago we were, we were at 500 uh, resupply uh, missions that we got out there and, and assisted with from requests from the community um, and so it's that's excluding many of the rural isolations um, down in the south you know we've had places like Warren that have been you know at one point had major flooding come through it for quite a while and there were rural isolations there that had lasted five and six weeks um, and we, so with this rain that's coming again we're asking the community um, on you know all those southern rivers and up through inland New South Wales to be prepared. We say every time, not every flood is the same, uh, but if you're in a low-lying area, it's probably likely to affect you if it does fall. 
And so be prepared, know your risk. The best place to get the correct information and the correct risk to your area is to go to the New South Wales SES website. Uh, we've got an interactive map that's really easy to use. You zoom in and zoom out of your community so you get specific risks on yours. And there's you know three levels of warnings. Uh, advice, watch and act, and emergency warnings, uh, of which there are currently 92 total warnings um, across the state, 11 at those emergency warnings. And so we're asking everyone, make sure you know how to find your risk, make sure you know how to find what to do and get a plan. And remember that everyone's situation is different. You might be you know, a single couple um, living in a house and you can quickly easily pick everything up and, and go if something happens, or you might be living on a rural property and need to organise your livestock um, up to another paddock lifting up pumps and organising that, or you might be in, you know, a little town and you've got to go sort your parents out as well, uh, or you might have a, you know, heap of kids. There's a heap of reasons why our circumstances are different, and it's really important that we have a quick conversation before anything happens to know what the risk might be and have some plans about what we might do if something does happen. The other thing you were saying earlier was that uh, we can't forget that some of those towns in the north, we're talking about Walgett and you just mentioned Warren as well, uh, you know, flood danger, flood issues still, isolation issues. Uh, we're not just talking about the south of the state. We're not just talking about the Murrumbidgee, the Lachlan, um, you know, and uh, those those towns that are obviously affected at the moment, like uh, Forbes and uh, heading out to Condoblin and Hay. Uh, it's right around the state we're talking that people might need assistance, might need help, might need to think about evacuating, uh, depending on the rainfall that is coming. Forecast to be at least 30, could be 70 with a storm, could be 150 millimetres. Yeah, so we were hearing the figures of, you know, uh, half a month's rain in, in a day and a half, a day's time. Oh, is that, uh, that, was that what areas. the Bureau was saying? Yeah, possibly. they said at one point. Yep. And so it's really important. That, that leads to flash flooding. And flash flooding is really difficult because we put out a, a bigger footprint of where it can happen and it happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, we've got roads that are, are being inundated. There was a, a story that we have in, admittedly it was in Sydney, but... We had water come up really quickly and we went out. The six cars that were in waist-deep water, they got pushed across. By the time our crews got out there incredibly quickly, the water was gone. And that can happen anywhere in the state. If it can happen in Sydney, it can happen anywhere um, with that sort of flash flooding. And because the ground is so wet and the catchments are, it just goes straight across the land. Mm. And then obviously any of that water falling, we will see renewed river rises uh, where in the catchments that it falls in. And so we need everyone just paying attention, being really cautious of the flash flooding risk. And then once it's fallen, and we, we might get a tiny bit more notice about the, the riverine flooding, but it's still really important to make sure that you're paying attention, listening to your emergency broadcast of the ABC or, or other news outlets and keeping an eye on the New South Wales SES website so you can keep as up to date as you possibly can. And if you need assistance, call 132500, and if it's life-threatening, call 000. 132500 and 000 if it's life-threatening. Uh, Adam, uh, thanks for joining us from the SES. I really appreciate the time. Stay safe, everybody. 
It's 12 minutes past 12 here on the New South Wales Country and check out uh, the SES website for details there and stay listening to ABC Local Radio because of course that system coming through Sunday and Monday as well so uh, stay listening over the weekend for the latest updates and check out the BOM website too. Some uh, updated details there as well. Well, the latest figures on the dams in New South Wales uh, show that we have seen phenomenal rainfall across large swathes of the state. We've also seen record inflows into the dam system and record releases. Tony Webber is a spokesperson for Water New South Wales. He said the situation is unprecedented and the dams are almost without exception full. Absolutely full and no exaggeration to say record volumes, uh, whether it's inflows to the dam, releases from the dam, um, yeah, quite, quite extraordinary. Even flow rates have been, uh, have been at or near records. If we think about September and October alone, our major northern storages uh, across the, the inland of the state have been at or about record volumes and record releases. You know, for example, Copeton on the Guaida River, very, very large dam. It's spilled more times this year than in the previous 40 years combined. Mm. And that gives you an indication of the sort of volumes. And, some, of the, and some incredible figures about Burrinjuk as well too. Burrinjuk in October alone received 20% more than the entire uh, volume of, of the dam. So the equivalent of its entire storage it received in four weeks over October. Mm. And and that's in a catchment that's already wet. That's with a river running hot downstream. So it, it's really been an incredible effort by our teams and our planning guys to have been able to mitigate the flooding as much of, as they as they have been able to in, in such exceptional circumstances. And a similar story for Wyangla. In fact, maybe even worse. Wyangla has been receiving phenomenal amounts of water, but just to give you an example, in November, so in the in the 11 days of this month, Wyangla Dam has received the equivalent of one-third of its storage, so something like 420 gigalitres. You know, for crude estimates, let's say Sydney Harbour holds 400, uh, 500. You know, Wyangla Dam in the 11 days of this month received something like 420. Mm. Incredible. And and some of the other uh, dams spilling that have very rarely spilled, Windermere. Windermere hasn't spilled since 1990. It continues to spill. This is the highest rate and the longest duration of a spill ever experienced there in, you know, 30, 30 plus years. Similarly, Split Rock uh, up on the Manila River, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't spilled since 2001. So that's 21 years ago. In October, it had record inflows to the dam. Uh, and and uh, and a record spill out the other side of that dam. So, uh, again, you know, really exceptional circumstances right across you know the, the north of the state, but but a similar situation in the central area. You know, Burrendong Dam on the Macquarie has been above a hundred percent into its flood surcharge zone consistently, despite enormous releases since November last year. That's twelve months. It's currently one hundred and twenty-seven percent down from one hundred and forty-four percent of, of uh, storage capacity. So, I mean, it must must be getting close to the wettest year ever that we've ever seen in in, in a record being kept, or, or not quite seventy four. Well, quite quite ex- quite extraordinary circumstance. I would think, you know, with, with respect to the dams, these are unprecedented by a long shot. Mm. But even on 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 water, you know, river systems like the Bow and Darling, the flows that have gone through Menindee are something like four times the entire volume of the lakes there. We've got probably one and a half times the lakes making their way down there in a flood event that 
will certainly be comparable to the 80s uh, and 90s at this stage with, with water still coming in off the floodplain and the Bureau telling us there's a prospect of more rain. Mm. And, and that most, and I guess when you put it in that context, you see that much rainfall for, uh, coming through, that much water flow coming through in 11 days, in four weeks' time. That makes, makes it almost impossible to manage. And, and I think, again, it's a tribute to the, the, the planning and the, and the strategy that Water New South Wales operators have put in place They've, they've got the data, they're working with the Bureau to see what's ahead, what's on the ground, what's running down, and they've made every opportunity to build whatever capacity they can in the storage. Now, obviously, these dams, you know, their, their capacity is finite. Once they're full, they're full. But even with the, you know, with the, with the prolonged rainfall, they've been able to make some storage capacity in these storages, and that... It doesn't make the water disappear, obviously, but it changes the timing of when that award, when that water arrives downstream. So the water that's captured from the dam uh, catchment is held back to let the downstream rivers and creeks do their thing in, in the in the main river, and then that water is is released once those tributaries have peaked. And it just it means the flood full impact isn't felt. So there is a mitigating, um, you know, a benefit to downstream communities. Um, but we, the challenge is with rain events so close together, inflows are still running into the dam, the river downstream is still very, very high because of those tributaries, and the window of opportunity to generate any storage capacity is minimal. Zero, in fact, he said later on. Tony Weber is the spokesperson for Water New South Wales about the situation, the unprecedented situation in uh, many of those catchments, as he was saying there, some of them uh, spilling several times in, the, in this year. Uh, which has uh, never been seen before. Uh, phenomenal rainfall across the large swathes of the state, record inflows and also record releases, uh, as well as, uh, as I said, some of those dams spilling many times in uh, in this last uh, few months or so. It's 18 minutes past 12 here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, a uh, bit of change of pace here. Let's uh, head to the north of the state because uh, after being rescheduled to the impacts of flat floods, of course, earlier in the year, the uh, Primex Field Days in Casino uh, could, could attract a pretty amazing crowd there in excess of 30,000 people over the next three days or so. The gates uh, opened at the Sustainable Farming and Primary Industries Expo yesterday. Uh, Kim Honan went along to that and uh, she's there again today. I think beef is on the agenda as well there today, Kim, and uh, also some announcements from the from the Primary Industries Minister. Yeah, I need a fan so desperately, Michael. Maybe a little bit, I don't want to say ask for rain, but it's like 26 degrees today in uh, Casino and I'm sweating like a pig, I can tell you that. It's uh, pretty hot today, but yeah, like you said, in excess of 30,000 people expected over the three days. There's 370 exhibitors here this year, um, an estimated $100 million of machinery on site. Uh, whether or not uh, those dealers can shift a fair amount of it, given the tough year that uh, primary producers have had here in the Northern Rivers, is uh, yet to be seen, but we'll have a wrap on that uh, next week. But um, I'm here in the Norco tent. Uh, the Minister, uh, Dougald Saunders, uh, is just trying on some boots, getting a photo <laughs> done with a giant uh, glass of milk with a straw coming out of it. But he's going to head over here for a chat. Uh, he's hanging around for the official opening shortly, but he's just made an official announcement uh, with a, quite a number of uh, flood recovery support officers announced for the northern part of the state. Good afternoon, Minister. Hey, nice to see you. So some good news. Um, I guess the question has to be asked, though. It's been eight and a half months 
since the, the catastrophic floods in February. Why have these officers, why has it been taken so long to, to, to announce them? Well, look, it wasn't like they didn't exist before. We've just really ramped things up as of a couple of months ago. So we've now got 19 from sort of the mid-north coast to the far north coast, and we've got 28 across the entire state, so including Greater Sydney, so that's sort of western Sydney and then down to the south coast as well. So we've already had them in place, but given we really know that we need to be stepping up and, and providing people with more options and opportunities to find their pathway to a grant or some, some technical advice or whatever. That's what these people will do. And I met some amazing people today, so Eden and Trent um, and Fiona and Amy, who are... Eden's probably the longest serving. He's been with the group since 2021, when flooding happened in 21. But th this group actually started after the bushfires of 2019. So it's been uplifted and, and sort of, I guess, moved up and down as far as numbers since that time. And now is another time for uplift right now. And it's a, it's a collaboration with the Commonwealth. It's out of Category A funding that we we're able to do this. And I think the job they're doing, and they're already telling me the success they're having, has been remarkable. So 19 new officers for the North Coast, and what sort of work are they doing? So literally, they're doing anything and everything you want. So I had a yarn to them, and, and you, you might come to the tent today, for example, and say, look, um, I've lost all my cattle, uh, or I've got some that have died. I'm not quite sure what to do. I, I want to look at my business plan. I'm not sure which grant I'm actually able to get. And, and they can step you through each and every process. So they can literally help you apply for a grant. So if you're a primary producer and you don't know really what to do, they'll go to your place, they'll sit on your computer or take their computer, run you through the process, do it with you and for you. Or they might help you get a, um, an LLS advisor out on your property about weeds. Or they might help you get some mental health support. Or they might help you do a farm business plan. Whatever it is you need for your farm business, they'll help you do it. And I think that's at site A18, is that right? A17, I think it is. And look, all of the support services are there together. So you've got Richmond Valley Council there, Lifeline's there, um, St Vinnie's is there. It's a really good sort of little corner of Primex where all of the support, and I think, uh, I guess at different levels, all of the support is there. And women on the land are giving free hand massages. Did you get one oh, of those? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'll definitely have to go back for one of those. And back to flood recovery, how much financial assistance has the government to both state and federal handed out this year? Look, significant amounts of money. It's into the well, hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll grab the stats exactly for you in just a moment. Um, but look, the, the categories that we've gone through have been basically, you know, as things change and, and adapt, we've gone from category Bs to category C's to category D's and that's where we've seen the $75,000 grants for primary producers happen that's what um, is being worked on at the moment for the western part of the state um, a category D was, was here obviously declared pretty early many months ago now um, but we've also had critical producer grants rolling out uh, we're still working on some other things to tie up some of those final loose ends for people that maybe haven't fitted into anything particularly yet, but we're trying to make sure that anyone who needs support is getting it, and the final piece of the puzzle might be around that logistics or, um, or getting your produce literally from farm through the supply chain to market, whether that's a domestic market, an export market, whatever it looks like. So we're trying to work on some of that movement at the moment and see if we can we can su support people who need help there. So there are some businesses such as Mountain Blue Orchards that are still waiting on funding and that's what they would fall into, the sort of freight logistics supply chain funding? Yeah, look, quite possibly. Um, I mean, that's one of the things that the sort of people we're talking about, the, the rural support officers can help actually do is find out where you're best placed. Um, and look, I've spoken to Mountain Blue personally, and, and I'll make sure we chase that up today. But 
you know, depending on your size and your scale, you do fit into different categories. And it might be with the Rural Assistance Authority or it might be with uh, Service New South Wales or it might be with a Commonwealth Department or the Department of Regional New South Wales. That's what these service officers are here to do, to find that pathway for you. And I, you know, I don't want anyone to miss out. That's been, you know, I've spoken to you about this before. I don't, I don't want people to feel like they're missing out. If you're missing out, call somebody and let us know you're missing out because we want to fix it. We're not trying to hold any money back. Um, looking at the, the applications we've had for the, the 75 grand, uh, 4,822 applications worth nearly $90 million to approved applicants. So the money has been going out the door. Um, but what we're hearing from these support offices is that sometimes people haven't been ready until about now to come forward and talk about what they want help with. And we're still there. We've still got the money there. We still want to help people. So come and talk to us. Thank you so much for your time. Good on you, Kim. Nice to talk to you. You too. Enjoy Primax. I hope you pick up those boots. They look good on you. Thank you. <laughs> That's the New South Wales Minister for Agriculture, Dougald Saunders, with me here at Primax. And as I mentioned, oh, it's 25 past 12 here on the Country Hour. Uh, with me is Simon Stahl, um, the Chief Executive Officer of the Casino Food Co-op. And, um, of course, Casino is the beef capital of the nation. It has been a very beefy uh, morning today. Uh, Simon Stahl, you've just stepped out of a, a beef forum. Uh, one of the key issues that you were talking about was markets. What was the message that um, you relayed to producers today? Oh, thanks, Kim. Uh, yeah, look, there was a couple of messages, I guess. Firstly, we uh, just reviewed an update of what's happening in the US in particular with um, the, the dry times they're having over there. Uh, we do feel for the farmers over there, obviously, but it will be to our advantage in markets when they um, start to restock. Um, so, you know, we were just saying there is some opportunities for us to regather some market share in, in Asia in particular and who knows, maybe even China. Well, there are some rumblings about China. Do you hope that uh, their suspension of your beef and a number of other processes in Australia is likely to be lifted soon? Uh, yeah, look, we, uh, we do remain hopeful. Um, look, the Chinese market at the moment is actually in the doldrums. There's a lot of product that's um, being heavily discounted uh, in China, but that's a domestic problem, we think, at the moment. Demand, is, a lot of the COVID shutdowns have made it um, very hard for, obviously, restaurants to buy meat to, to know when they're going to be closed or open. So there's a few domestic issues at the moment, but getting back to the to the, the market access and in particular our suspensions. I think the foreign minister's doing a wonderful job, you know, standing on the sidelines having a look. Uh, she's been very strong uh, on, on positions that are, are meaningful to Australia, but at the same time a conciliatory tone um, and still sticking up for our industry. So that started really well. We're now reading our reports out of China in the China media. It's very complimentary of Australia, which has changed. And, of course, that's that's the government mouthpieces, a couple of those um, papers. So it's all starting to step in the right direction. And now we've got a meeting, obviously, between um, Premier Xi and, and uh, our Prime Minister uh, up in Bali. So... We're quietly confident there's a few big decision times in the new year for the Chinese when they meet and they do their five to ten year plans. So, um, you know, fingers crossed there might be something before then. And on the worker shortage issue, are you getting enough workers and what do you think the, the immigration policy should be looking like going forward? Uh, look, we haven't got enough workers, no. Uh, we haven't got enough skilled workers, but even just um, people on the ground. So the 
the PLS scheme has been terrific. Um, so we want to work with the government on making sure that that continues. Um, we're very, I'm, I'm encouraged that they're starting to talk about uh, families and, um, and encouraging that program and even spreading that further. So I'm encouraged by those, unless there's been some news in the last 24 hours but that I don't know of, but I'm encouraged and we're going to have to have it because the processing sector, when we do have a dry spell with the size of the herd that is growing, there's going to be a jam up at the meatwork. So we, we have to keep developing uh, the skills and the capacity to be able to process the animals. And just finally, this morning at a, a breakfast uh, here in Casino for Primex, you uh, launched a campaign along with the Australian Meat Processor Corporation, More to Meat. Tell me a little bit about that. It, it, look, it's a, it's a wonderful initiative and it actually starts to celebrate what's great about our industry and that is the people in there. And uh, we've, talked, we've talked about our great people in the industries, but now we've actually got some material through the AMPC to actually um, show... Australians what a wonderful place Meatworks can be and what wonderful careers you can have in a Meatworks now look it's, it's tarred with a lot of old old um, old brushes from the past but we, we, we know what um, great things can happen at Meatworks. We know wonderful stories and now we're actually to present them. We had three terrific young people there today. One has gone and done a postgraduate degree in microbiology would be one of the best in Australia in micro and food safety. Uh, another guy who started up on our floor is now one of our mechanics, uh, a local a proud local Indigenous man. So um, those stories now that we can get them out and, and show the country what opportunities there are in Meatworks is just a wonderful opportunity. Fantastic. Thanks Simon. Cheers, thanks, Kim. That is Simon Style, the Chief Executive Officer of the uh, the Casino uh, Food Co-op here in Casino. And uh, finally today, Michael, there has been a bit of a, a focus on mental health and disaster recovery. A special hub has been set up here, uh, including Women on the Land, a rural support group. And I caught up with uh, one of the founding members, Tracy Doherty. Yeah, fantastic. I'm so excited for this. So collaboration between Women on the Land. Um, so we had funding, which is auspiced through Northern Rivers Community Gateway um, and funding through um, the Australian Government, uh, New South Wales State Government and Richmond Valley, uh, Richmond Valley Council. Um, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Hugh Van Carlenberg who talks about the principles of um, mindfulness. So it's gratitude, empathy and mindfulness from tomorrow. We will have access for one week, so from the 11th of November to the 17th of November. Um, anyone who comes and sees us and grabs a flyer, there's a QR code and a web link. They can actually sit and watch one of Hugh's presentations and talking about that whole mindfulness situation and how that can help. And we know that um, people looking after their own emotional well-being before, during and after a disaster is so important. So I'd love for people to come and see us, site A16, drop in. Um, we've got plenty of little 21-day diaries as well that they can take away and actually practice. They say it takes 21 days to actually, um, uh, 21 days to form a habit. So we'd love to be able to give you or send you away with that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, wish you all the best with your own emotional well-being travels. And this is just a really great way of being able to do it. And Tracy, just finally, nearly nine months on from those catastrophic floods, what's your sense of how women on the land and their families, their community are recovering, how are they going? 
Look, I think it's one of those things that we've had these knock-on impacts. So we've had the drought and then we had the fires of 2019. We've had multiple floods and we've also had COVID in amongst all of that. The communities are really, really, um, they're really torn. And so that, that ability to have that community connection and actually sit and have a chat with someone and come together as a, as a group and just um, shared experiences is just really quite incredible. And we're so fortunate that the community still has us along for the ride. You know, because it's been pretty turmoil. So, um, you know, that trust that they have in us, in our community, to sit with them in their, their moment of hurt is just so empowering. And we are so grateful to be able to do that within our communities. And, and you know, we do that from the Clarence right through to the Tweed. We're so grateful. Tracy Doherty from Women on the Land, uh, just uh, one of the exhibitors there at Primax this year, and she was talking there to Kim Honan, uh, and Kim Honan, of course, at the Field Day site. At the moment, it's uh, 28 minutes to one. We'll have some weather details shortly. We'll also find out what's happening in regards to that uh, half-billion-dollar buyback scheme for the Northern Rivers flood victims, uh, talking uh, to uh, David Witherden, who heads up that corporation shortly on the program. But before we do that, let's uh, find out what's happening in the elsewhere in the news. Adam Story, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Well, not that it ever went away, but uh, COVID is back officially. Um, The Chief Health Officer, Dr Kerry Chant, says New South Wales has entered its fourth COVID-19 wave. There's been a big spike in weekly cases. 19,800 new cases detected in New South Wales in the seven days until four o'clock yesterday. That's a jump of five, uh, more than 5,500 cases on the previous week, and there's currently 974 people in hospital. So while there's no suggestion that we're going back to lockdown or mandatory uh, this or that, um, we are being urged to wear masks in indoor spaces, again, where mm. we can't socially distance. Uh, the Prime Minister says that authorities know who is responsible for the Medibank cyber attack. Um, He says the federal police will reveal where the attacker originated from later today. I think the suggestions so far have been that it's Russia, uh, so there's probably not much that uh, they can do about it from from here. But uh, the uh, Medibanks confirmed that a third round of uh, customer data has been released on the dark web today. Meanwhile, the National Australia Bank says it's now employing extra staff to monitor for suspicious payments after the Medibank hack. Uh, NAB has a team of about 400 staff working to identify fraudulent activity already uh, and they say the bank lost $40 million to fraud last year and that scams are on the increase. Back to the Prime Minister, he's on his way to, uh, well he's about to head off for a nine day international trip. He's attending three summits across Asia. One of them will be with uh, the Chinese President Xi Jinping. He's hoping to meet with him, but that's yet to be confirmed. Uh, But uh, the Prime Minister says the lifting of Chinese trade sanctions is critical to mending Australia's relationship uh, with Beijing. Uh, some big news out of the US overnight with uh, figures showing that US uh, in, uh, inflation there had eased by more than expected and that sent uh, the uh, Wall Street skyrocketing. Uh, <clears throat> it surged 5%. Well, that was the S&P and the Dow Jones leaped 3.7%. Uh, and they say even Bitcoin managed to claw back some losses yeah. uh, as a result of that. So hopefully those inflation will, that Continue similar inflation figure down. we'll see here mm, that's next right. month. Yeah. Uh, and just finally, of course, uh, Remembrance Day uh, ceremonies around the country today, and it was the uh, first full-capacity crowds that were allowed since uh, the beginning of the pandemic, and mm. 104 years since the armistice. Yes.
That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, the eleventh of the eleventh at eleven o'clock. Yeah. Mm, that's right. Who can forget? Lest we forget. Lest we forget. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. Adam Story is. Uh, he'll be back with you at one o'clock with uh, more news. Then it's uh, coming up to twenty-five minutes to one. Let's find out what's happening with that all-important weather. Of course, we've been watching the weather. We heard from the SES earlier about. Some of those uh, rainfall figures and uh, concerns there, uh, 30 to 70 millimetres we're hearing in some of those catchments. Uh, Stephen Stefanak, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So that's the latest, and it sounds like there was talk that it may sort of be more centred in the south, but it seems that system on the computer modelling I've seen seems to be moving more into the sort of big centred around the central west. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of variance on the models too. So mm. there's a bit of suggestion it could get as far north as the northwest slopes and plains. Yep. Uh, but as appear that the southern parts are more risk, riverine and southwest slopes. And um, as that system really ramps up on, on Sunday. But prior to that, we've got these showers and thunderstorms again today and tomorrow, uh, this afternoon. And we've got the risk of severe thunderstorms uh, at, um, on today and, and tomorrow as well and that risk of damaging winds, large hail and heavy rainfall that may lead to localised flash flooding. So that's for today and Saturday. Now, temperatures are warm to very, very warm sort of across the state. So we're seeing, particularly across northern parts of the state, temperatures reaching the low to mid-30s today and tomorrow. But then um, the, this trough, which generally storms, then combines with a cold front sweeping up across the state on Sunday and Monday. And that's when we start to see catchment-wide rainfall and uh, also with embedded thunderstorms. And as you mentioned, uh, many places probably going to see 30 to 50 millimetres across inland parts of the state, possibly 30 to 70 millimetres, and even heavier locally. Uh, or I say heavier falls with thunderstorms even beyond, beyond uh, in exceedance of 70 mils possible. Yes, so that's the situation. And then on top of that, some thunderstorm activity. Yeah, so that thunderstorm activity has the potential to produce those localised heavier falls. Otherwise, we'll expect uh, anywhere from 30 to 50 millimetres, maybe to 50, maybe 50 to 70 millimetres for many places generally, and uh, quite good catchment-wide rainfall across you know, lots of the catchment. But those thunderstorms, with the thunderstorms heavier than that, um, possibly. But uh, thunderstorms are more locally localised and isolated, so we don't expect widespread 100 millimetres. Um, that would be isolated or localised falls with that. But uh, the, 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 those other figures, um, yeah, we expect many places to see that just from uh, from that catchment-wide rainfall moving through on Sunday and Monday. And there's some talk from the uh, SES about flash flooding issues and also some of those other catchments in the north as well being affected by this rainfall too. So, you know, it's uh, going to be quite widespread. Uh, looking at the modelling, yeah, like you say, there's the, the, the model shows rainfall uh, in sort of a band sort of going um, right across the state uh, uh, for, uh, Saturday, for Sunday, Monday. Yes. So you mentioned the flash flooding. That, that's a localised flash flooding risk today and tomorrow. Right. Um, but then, uh, and continuing on Sunday and Monday, but in addition to the flash flooding risk we have on Sunday and Monday, we have a risk of the renewed riverine flooding. And as we have that flood watch current, uh, and we expect another issue of that today for... Yes, that's right. For a, a number of areas might, might see renewed flooding. They're talking about uh, the Lachlan, Murrumbidgee, and some of the other northern rivers as well. 
Yep, that's right. So renewed risk of major flooding included in that. And uh, it looks like mostly uh, central western slopes and plains, southwest slopes, uh, eastern uh, inland parts of the state. Most at risk, but we can't fully rule out the northwest slopes and plains district to be affected by that as well as the system evolves. It's, uh, it's it's a difficult situation uh, considering the the amount of flood water that's there already. Uh, renewed river rises by the sound of things in quite a number of those catchments yep. and rivers. So yeah, and uh, I guess the thing is people need to um, uh, not drive through flood waters and also be uh, watching some of those warnings from SES and also from the Weather Bureau. No doubt people on deck there all weekend and putting on warnings on the weather site as well and uh, stay listening to ABC Local Radio too. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the good news is that hopefully we'll get some drier conditions come through by late Monday and clear that rain away. Oh, that's good. And clear it <laughs> offshore. And There'll still it'll be come flooding, though, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's unfortunately, you'll still have the floods moving downstream. But uh, but we'll have some cooler temperatures and some, some dry winds come through, which will hopefully give us some reprieve before the potential next system sometime, maybe... Uh, next weekend, the following weekend. Right, that's that's the intelligence on that. I was going to ask about that. There is a there is another system coming through in about a, another week's time or so. Looking on the maps. Yeah, it does look a bit. It doesn't look as much moisture in it with that next following up system. That's uh, good. In the following weekend at this stage, uh, but it's it's like t- almost ten days away. So mm. we'll, have to, we'll keep an eye. Hard on Hard to that. forecast. Yeah, Stephen. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Thanks, Michael. Stephen uh, Stefanak with the not-so-good news about the rain. Uh, if you're in those flood-affected areas, it's uh, 19 to 1. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Well, an analysis of the half-billion-dollar buyback scheme for the Northern Rivers flood victims shows authorities can't really afford uh, to pay out all the eligible homeowners uh, who want to take up the offer. The Resilient Homes Program was announced two weeks ago. $520 million allocated to the buyback scheme. Some question marks, too, being asked about the prices to be paid and uh, also uh, the issue of buybacks for those people living on farms. Now, to give us some of the details, maybe clear up some of those issues, David Witherden, who heads up the Northern Rivers Reconstruction Corporation, joins us now. Good afternoon. Thanks for your time. Yeah, good afternoon. New Michael, and a pleasure to join you. Yeah, so looking at that $520 million, okay, it's a buyback, it's a lot of money, but there is a concern. We are hearing that, uh, you know, this that divide the pool by the number of eligible homes means that the budget for each house is only about $260,000 when some of those uh, pre, pre-flood property prices were way in excess of that, nearly double that. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think a, a really good question, and yeah, I'll be pleased to put people's minds at, at ease. So, with our resilient homes program, there, there are two components to to that. Um, one is around the um, re, re, resilient uh, homes program, which includes voluntary purchase opportunities for house raising, and then resilient refitting. There's up $700 million in that co-funded by New South Wales. And oh, right. Commonwealth $700 million. Okay. Government. Yep. Seven, $700 million. Okay. But I think the, the important caveat uh, with that is, is that, that that is the first tranche of funding that runs through until the end of June 2024. Um, and 
in terms of our assessments around eligibility for that program, we anticipate that there'll be approximately 2,000 homes, those being at the highest risk, we call those a catastrophic risk because there's a risk to, to human life there, would be eligible for voluntary purchase uh, across the Northern Rivers um, area. So that that's from the Clarence up to the Tweed, out to Kyogle, uh, R- Richmond Valley. A further... 2,000 for, for house raising and you know more, more than 2,000 for resilient refitting. So in terms of the whole program, we expect more than 6,000 homeowners to oh, benefit right. okay. from, the from figure, that. Yeah, the so, figure we had heard was 2,000 in the high risk, but there's an additional 4,000 on top of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it sort of in terms of decreasing risk. So those highest risk homes are, are the ones where we we want to move people out of danger's way. You know, get 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 them you know right right out of the the, the bottom of the floodplain. So yeah, two thousand homes there for that. And as as I said, that that first tranche of funding, that seven hundred million dollars, takes us through to to the middle of twenty twenty four. Before, well in advance of that, we will do a program evaluation and just to understand you know, what the take-up of the program is, how that's um, tracking, and we'll also have the benefit of you know, greater insights through the, the work that the CSIRO are undertaking with um, the modelling of the Wilsons Richmond catchment, and then we'll recalibrate that and then set the that funding of envelope for the um, second tranche of funding. And the, look, the, the yeah. other issue I had was this concern uh, at meetings. Some farmers attended some meetings. Some very well attended meetings, I gather, uh, were held yep. recently. Uh, some of the questions were asked about uh, what if I'm on a farm? I've got a, f- a farmhouse that was completely flooded, covered in water. Um, and uh, what's going to happen in terms of the buyback there? And they were asked, would you be buying back the entire farm or would you be re- rehabilitating the farmhouse? And the response from the uh, from someone at the corporation was, no, we'd be buying the whole farm property. Is that, is that right? Because that seems a bit uh, incongruous. No, that, that's uh, absolutely not right. right. And yeah, look, I think we've had a, and I'll, I'll answer that in detail, but we've had a really strong response at the community sessions. Um, we've run a number in Lismore, we're up at um, Willembar earlier this week, we're at Mullumbimby next week, we've got a stand at, at uh, Primax at, at the moment, so you know, we're, we're out, out there talking to the community, I think, uh, you know, getting some strong in- engagement, uh, getting some really good questions, and every time we go out there, I, I learn something as, as well, and that, that's the benefit of it. Look, in terms of those rural properties, yeah, that, those homes are absolutely eligible, um, in terms of through you know one of the three streams of the of the project of the program, but based so they may on, be on eligible for a refit or maybe uh, put on could, more could, stilts could, could, or could, raised higher on yeah, the ground could, that sort of from the ground that could, sort of thing. Exactly, could be house raising. Now, mm. may be considered eligible for voluntary purchase because the house is in a really high risk location. But you they, wouldn't be buying back the whole farm. No, the, the opportunity may be to actually pick that house up and move it to a safer spot 
on the block mm. and you know the last thing we want you know we've certainly got some of the best farmland there in the country and uh, you know it is so good because it is on floodplains so it's there's opportunity there within this program we've got exceptional circumstances provisions where we can you know work through in an equitable way to come up with a bespoke solution there that mm. sort of mitigate, mitigates the risk uh, to, to so you might buy and, and gets the outcome. So you may buy buy the house. The house, if it may not be suitable to have a house on a on a property on the floodplain, you might have to live elsewhere. For example, that might be an option, exactly. or they might want to put it on stilts or move it to an to higher ground on the property. So all of those options, you, you'll discuss all those options with the landowner. Absolutely, and that's why we've taken a case management approach to this. So we we start our outreach around the program uh, next week and we'll be getting out there directly uh, contacting people, assigning a case manager to them and our contact will be with those that at the highest risk first we'll work back uh, from there and then work through you know what what their options are what they'll be eligible for and um, knowing that um, you know these are big decisions for people and often for people who've been through a really significant trauma in in terms of th- these events so you know we the purpose of assigning that case manager is so you know they don't have to tell their story over and over again we'll, we'll sort of work with them and uh, so we get a thorough understanding assessment of of, of their options and uh, you know find it find a pathway forward so even in those high risk areas are there bespoke options there because a lot of those uh, houses on the in the high risk areas they're uh, they're pretty high up already i mean there'd be a limit to how how high you could put some of those homes that were already flooded in the the high risk areas that there there would be limited options for many of those uh, that were completely flooded out even though they were quite high Absolutely. There's de- definitely limits around that in terms of building guidelines. But more po- more importantly, when you, you look at the residents there in terms of their individual mobility restrictions, that's something we absolutely need to take in- into account. You know, so if they're somebody- elderly, infirm or, infirm or they uh, um, uh, have uh, medical issues or those sorts, of, those sorts of things, need to be close to the hospital... Yeah, and, and they're, they're the sort of inputs we, we've got to this program. You know, whilst it'd be really nice j- just to sort of have li- lines on a map and make it as easy as that, you know, we're taking a far more. Well, it's easy for the bureaucrats. It. <laughs> yeah. It'll be easy for the people. <laughs> exactly. But what we need to do, we certainly need to, you know, understand the specific flood risk of um, that location. You know, the, the specifics of the the structure. They're, they're living in evacuation routes and then down to individual circumstances in terms of mobility. And then we can really work through and get that optimum solution there that you know, de- de-risks um, the, the, the situation for for that individual and then you know, more broadly right, right across the uh, community as we work through delivering the program. David Witherden, I appreciate that because I think you have cleared up some of those misconceptions that were out there about farmland and farm houses and um, buying back the farm and those sorts of issues there that people had raised as well as uh, some of those uh, issues in regards to the amount of money available and some of those high-risk properties, so 2,000 high-risk properties talking about in some of those towns. We do appreciate uh, you being able to clear that up for us on the program today. 
Uh, absolute uh, pleasure, Michael, and sort of happy to come on at any time. Thank you. David Witherden there, who uh, is with the uh, the uh, corporation there that's uh, looking at the issue, Northern Rivers Restri- Reconstruction Corporation, uh, looking at uh, those uh, properties in those flood risk areas in the, in the north coast. On the north coast, it's nine minutes to one. Here on the New South Wales Country Hour, well, uh, let's turn our attention now to wine in the state's central west because several vineyards there are bringing in new biosecurity measures as part of a trial to prevent the dreaded phylloxera aphid from entering the state. The pilot program has been running in Mudgee for a couple of months already and customers at these wineries will now have a bit of a two-step process before they can access the vineyard. State Agriculture Minister Dougal Saunders says it's the first such pilot in the state. So we're doing it in two ways. There is a program which uh, the New South Wales Wine Industry Association and the Department of Primary Industry have co-funded called Track and Trace, where any visitor into the vineyards, whether they're contractors or visitors in the vineyard, not amongst the cellar door, but the vineyards, uh, sign on and sign off so that we have a log of who's actually visited. In case there's an incursion, we can go back with the Track and Trace system and find out where the problems are. And the second part is actually us informing the public so that if they do want to go in the vineyard and they have permission to go in the vineyard, they mitigate the problem with, with a very shallow foot bath, which uh, can clean up their any boots. If, if they brought some soil from an area which has phylloxera in, which has the and it could attach to the soil, it could easily wipe out our region. So, is there no treatment or you know way to get rid of phylloxera once it gets in uh, local vineyards? Australia has been pretty much on trying to be on top of this for the last 150 years is this louse. And you, it's the same same insect or bug that you see on the signs. If you drive around New South Wales in your wine areas, you'll see signs up about please protect our region by not bringing in phylloxera. So it's a, it's a, a, a soil-borne insect that uh, can completely decimate, wipe out vineyards forever. There's really no control. You really only have to protect it by using rootstocks, which are resistant to this insect, which attacks the root systems. So once you've attacked it, you need to pull the vineyard out, probably fumigate it, and then start again with the new plantings. And wiped out all of Europe between 1850 and 1880. Uh, And uh, it's endemic in the United States. And there's a few parts in Australia where it's endemic as well. How much do you reckon tourism has increased by Enmudgee in the last uh, few years? It's at least doubled. How often do you have tourists coming through your vineyards? Seven days a week. We we encourage tourists to visit. All of the 34 cellar doors in Mudgee encourage visitation. That's the principal reason we market our wine is through local cellar doors. So we're very open to tourists visiting the cellar door. It's a uh, the issue is how far they, they go into the vineyard and the potential problem of them bringing this insect with them. Do you have a lot of tourists that go all the way through the vineyard, like on tours and stuff? It's in two areas. We take vineyard tours. So we'll take on, on a Saturday and a Sunday, we'll take a group of people who pre-book for a tour. We'll walk them through the vineyard. We have a lot of functions and weddings, etc. not only us, but other wineries, and they often adjacent to vineyards. So they may want to have some photographs in the vineyard. And you have the other ones who just turn up and just go for a wander because they've got a dog and they want to kick a ball or they've got kids and they want to go for a wander. So it's in three areas that they come, and we've got to obviously manage that, manage the risk. So in those areas where you say they, they go for a wander, is that technically trespassing or is that allowed? 
We don't say it's trespassing at the moment because we don't distinguish them. We don't like to have signs to say, please don't go here or don't do this. We would prefer to educate customers that this is our vineyard area and this might be a potential hazard for biosecurity. And we don't want to say, don't come. We want to say, if you do come, be aware of what the risks are and how do we manage the risks and how do we communicate that with fatigued people because they're, they're the lifeblood of our business. David Lowe from Low Wines in Mudgee speaking to Hannah Joes and that pilot running in Mudgee, Orange, Tumbarumba and Canberra. Now for the week in livestock markets and Brendan Wade from Meat and Livestock Australia says that the big yarding of sheep and wagga did dampen demand and prices a little bit but the flood affected yards don't seem to have affected the cattle. No, the cattle markets, um, I think New South Wales dropped one, uh, dropped Forbes this week, I'm aware of that one, And um, but the likes of Uroma and your Dolby's and Casino, they've, they, they've had markets this this, uh, this week, numbers were fairly strong, you know, with Roma uh, had 5,700 odd, Dolby had 6,500 and... Um, and uh, casino as well, and, and the market was pretty was pretty strong. Uh, yeah, the, the buyers absorbed the numbers that were coming through those markets, so which is which is a good sign. The lighter weights uh, certainly um, had a lot of uh, competition, but but right through. I mean, you you know we saw um, feeder steers are maintaining their values over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the cows in some centres was a, were a little bit easier, but um, uh, but not to any great extent. It was, you know, usually your five or ten cents fluctuation one way or another. But the cattle markets in most of our centres on the eastern coast have, have held up pretty well, and the numbers that did come forward were absorbed by the buying fraternity. Yeah, so the demand is still there from processing sector and exports, and we heard that China might be back in the market buying beef cattle as well. So that had uh, that pushed the market up too. Every buyer is greatly appreciated. <laughs> What's happening in the uh, sheep and lamb market? I see Wagga had uh, what we think was a record this this week. Uh, did we see prices go down a bit or stay steady? Yeah, look, we did. And I, I suppose if we talk generally over most markets, in, in uh, yes, they did. Uh, Dubbo Monday was firm. You know, we saw uh, the best of the heavier lambs there at $264 or thereabouts. So that was an earlier market uh, with, with uh, what numbers they would expect. So, And then on Forbes, Tuesday didn't go. Uh, Ballarat was softer on the Tuesday. Day, you know, they had, um, you know, their normal expectation numbers, probably a few more. But when Wagga, the, the story got out for Wagga, yeah, it was it was back. But Ballarat was back, and then Wagga was back further, where you know we saw lambs at Wagga, the top of 262, where they would have been probably closer to 290s or 300 there, you know, last week. So. It's uh, talking about the um, livestock markets this week, Brendan Wade. Let's go to Griffith Sheep and Lambs now. Good afternoon. The cheaper rates rolled on to Griffith today for 7,000 lambs and a much bigger offering of 8,800 sheep. Prices were 20 to $30 cheaper across the board, although some of the plainer trade weight suckers lost up to $50. There wasn't a lot of weight or standout quality in the lamb run, and this created pockets of reasonable sales for the very best shorn and unshorn lambs above 28 kilos. Heavy shorn lambs sold to $239.60 and woolly suckers to 221 However, sales above $200 were limited. The lamb grade to struggle the most was the general run of suckers, 21 to 24 kilos, which made from 130 to 166 to average around $150. Store buyers stepped into some of these, and interestingly, the average for the bigger lambs to the paddock at $136 was similar to much smaller lambs. 
Some feature lines of genuine crossbred store lambs around 16 to 18 kilos still sold strongly on the date up to $128. The estimated cost of most lambs was $6.50 to $7.60 cents in an erratic market. In the sheep, only limited sales of heavy ewes above $135 to a top of $145. Most sheep, $70 to $125, with lean and merinos in the 18 to 24 kilo weights, averaging $91. Jenny Kelly for MLA. That's the market information for today. A reminder about that uh, event over the weekend. Uh, the floodwaters have receded, of course, but renewed flood peaks, they're fearing those. They're likely to form after a weekend deluge. An average of 30 to 70 millis, millimetres uh, could fall uh, quite a large area of the state. Uh, could exceed 100 millimetres in some areas with thunderstorms. So uh, uh, keep listening to ABC Local Radio and checking out the SES website. It's news time, one o'clock.